Yoda from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. I believe that God has deposited many of you spiritually a word or a principle to think about in the series that we're doing on leadership. Certainly in the last two weeks we've been blessed by preaching on how to think like a leader, and how to grow like a leader. And just a recap, I just wanted to spend some time this morning on recapping on what leadership is to us as Christians, and more importantly, our hope is that God would reveal to us a word or a principle to think about, particularly around our message today, which is about how to act like a leader. Put up your hands. Put up your hands if you think of yourself as a leader or a reluctant leader. You think you should lead, but you think you don't have the goods or the or are worthy to be a leader, leader, or may not even want to be a leader. Put up your hands. Okay. Well, that's actually good to see. I was thinking to myself, no one's going to put their hands up, but I put up my hand as well. And and myself and Pastor Taulu would can tell you now that we were reluctant leaders. But the fact is that God placed in our hearts a heart of compassion for the lost and to shepherd his flock. And I'm sure that is the same for a lot of our campus ministers and, and our ministers here in the church today. You see, when your mother told you, or still tells you, Chris, to brush your teeth, tidy your room, do your homework, put out the rubbish, what she really is saying, or what she, really, uh, what she is really saying is, I want to teach you some good habits that will remain with you as you lead yourself before you go out into the real world and lead others. She was saying, I don't want you to be average, as you heard last week. I don't want you to be average or slothful, lazy. We heard last week that greatness in the, in the world's eyes is different to how God sees greatness. God says that greatness is when the first becomes last and the last becomes first. God sees greatness in us when we are connected to him like branches of the vine. Instead of the word great, God uses the word fruitful. Say fruitful. Fruitful. God uses the word fruitful. He sees greatness in each and every one of us here today. He sees fruitfulness in those three areas of our life. Fruitfulness, fruitfulness in our compassion to others or for others. Fruitfulness in our character and fruitfulness in our, what's the third one? calling, in our calling. As a leader, you need to be fruitful in those areas of your life of compassion, in your character, and in your calling. I know you may be thinking, some of you are thinking there as you sit there as well, my calling is not in leadership, or I don't have the intellect or education or even the charisma to lead. But that brings me to my first point I want to make, is... You are called to lead. You are called to lead. If you're sitting in here, you are called to lead. You're called to lead others. As a Christian, you're already called to lead. God has given you a title of leadership. It's a noble one, to be an ambassador for God. If you just turn to your Bibles, we can read, read this in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 20. 
At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people back to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave to us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his, his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we speak. Come back to God. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. We're in the business called the Ministry of Reconciliation to reconcile others back to Christ. The Great Commission requires leaders of the faith to go and make disciples of all the nations, not just some of them, not just Africa, not just South Pacific, all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all the commands that Christ has given to us. This calling is great because it requires us to go. Small word, but it, it's great. Go. Go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them. So that means that we're all called to leadership. Leadership involves the way you act. We've already heard in previous weeks that the way we act in leadership is through serving. The calling to leadership is about serving others. We all have that calling. I'll say that again. We all have that calling. To act like a leader, you must be a servant to others. We already heard that. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others and to be a ransom for many. He's the model of leadership. For those of you on the internet looking at the conference, we saw in the last week at our Every Nation conference where the theme was Go, and this was highlighted by one of our founders, Dr. Rice Brooks. There were three points that he wanted to emphasize to all the Every Nation churches. First, we pray for the nations. Secondly, we prioritize campus. And thirdly, we give preeminence or importance or distinction to the gospel. We pray for the nations. As Christians, we are heirs according to the promises of Abraham. One of the promises God made to Abraham is, or was, I will bless every nation through you. That means that every one of you has an inheritance to the nations. I will bless every nation through you. We prioritize campus. The campus is the source of the future leaders of almost any field you can choose. When students are saved and discipled, they can be set not only in as full-time leaders, but also as leaders in their areas, in their fields, in the vocations, the jobs that they will go out and serve in. The campus is where the future leaders are. The campuses are where the nations are. And that's why this church needs to be or have a footprint in those campuses. Right from school, right through to the university. We give preeminence to the gospel. We're stewards of the gospel. We're gospel-minded. The strategy going into 2020 is to think evangelism. That's not just for Leonard or Fee. It's for all of us to think evangelism. 
How are we going to lead others? others? What tools are we going to use? The purple book, the God test, arise, small groups, simple acts of kindness to your work colleagues or neighbours, helping the poor, being excellent at your work, excellent in your studies. You see, every one of us, in light of the Great Commission, needs to think about this. Think evangelism. The core to this vision for our church is to activate every believer. Identify the evangelist in you and in others and mobilize the church by equipping the believers as Ephesians 4.11 says, we are a five-fold ministry. Each of us can teach the word. Dr. Rice Brooks um, wrote a book on the human right, which means that every individual to hear needs to hear the gospel and to have an opportunity to make a decision for salvation. Every human has that right. The gospel is not the only cure for injustice in every human heart. But we need people to lead, to go and preach the gospel. Are you hearing the south side? Are you hearing the south side? We need to preach the gospel, teach the gospel. The church requires people who are committed to putting the gospel first on their schedules. Every nation ministry's strategy is to reach every nation by 2040, using the same old boring strokes for those who have read um, the Lego principle in some of our every nation church um, books. The Lego principle, it's about relationships. Using the same old boring strokes of discipling one to reach one doing the right things consistently, using the four E's to engage, evangelize, equip, and empower. These words or these principles need to be embedded in our minds and souls as we look to expanding God's kingdom in this church, in this region. There's a missional calling in every one of us. In Psalm 2, it says, sorry, Psalm 2, 8, it says, God says, only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. See, a lot of our missionaries that are here today, they, they know that off by heart because they know their calling. Some of you may need a passport to travel to the nations to reach the gospel and reach other nations or even a visa. I, I need a visa because I still tr travel on a Samoan passport, so I need a visa to go to a lot of places. Pray for me as I get my citizenship. <laughs> well, others already have a harvest of nations in their own backyard, on the campuses, in your neighbourhoods or communities. We live in such a multicultural society. The population or the region of Oceania is approximately 42 million people. So that's our region. Every nation, Southside and Auckland, Brisbane and Fiji, that's our region. That's the, the region that we need to, to evangelise and go out to. There's 42 million people out there. You may say, well, I'm not called to be a pastor, prophet or missionary, but there's other areas of ministry. What about teaching? You can lead someone through the purple book or teach them how to pray or fast, teaching couples about marriages or help someone with getting their finances in order and teaching them why we tithe. Whatever tool you use, make sure it's practical and biblical. God has given each and every one of 
one of us giftings and talents to lead others. He teaches us in his word about our talents and giftings. Don't hide them. Use them. You know what happens when you don't use your muscle, you don't go to the gym, it fades or, or whatever. Whatever's going through your mind, yeah, whatever happens to your muscle, it, uh, Pastor Ken used the word atrophy, but I think that's too fancy. It just wastes away. You see, when we are given a whole new transformed life, not only are our sins forgiven, we are also given new hearts, hearts of compassion, as we've already heard, hearts of compassion. God has not only called us to, the, to be teachers of the word, but also doers of the word. He sees our hearts first. Is your heart ready to go out and lead? If you say, I'm not called to lead or have the goods to do this, well, here it is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Everyone lift up the Bibles or the Bible in front of you. Here it is. Okay, that muscle might be that's the way to lift up that Bible. It's the instruction booklet of leadership right in, right in our hands, your hand, in front of you, behind the chairs, on your phone, tablets, and electronic devices. You can get your knowledge, wisdom, and inspiration from God's word right there to lead. I'm just trying to encourage you that you are leaders. How do you lead? Instruction booklet. Book. God has called you to be a leader and can teach you how to act like one. If you still doubt that God has called you into leadership, then consider what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. You have your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 26. I'll read it. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, who's called by God? Most of us. All of us. Both Jew, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. I want to address a couple of myths about leadership and how to act like one. The first one is, you need a title or position to act like a leader. You don't need a title position to be, to, to be or act as a leader. It's the other way around. You don't need a position. You're called to lead no matter what level of knowledge or experience you have. If you've been called to salvation, if you've been called to salvation, you are one step ahead of leading someone 
who is not saved or has not received salvation. Again, you're called to lead. If you're saved, you're called to lead. When you put your hand up and say, God, send me to the nations, teach me how to be a, be a leader, you're not going to be able to stop what God has already deposited in you. So we can't stop God's will in us becoming leaders and sending us out to go. In Isaiah 55, 11, God speaks through the prophet saying, It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want to, it to do, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. See, God is calling both you and I, not just Pastor Ulu or the campus ministers or missionaries, to lead others. You're a leader because God is sending you out to preach and teach his word. You don't have to have a positional position to act like a leader. You can act like one in your own household, your family, your friends, neighbours, and your workmates. I'll say that again. You don't have to have a position or title to act like a leader. I'll tell you the story about Nelson Mandela. Most of you know who he is. The first black president of South Africa acted like a leader long before he had a title of president. He was in prison for 27 years. No title, no authority, no position, yet he served from behind bars. All he had was he simply had compassion for the injustices of his people, the prejudices of his people that was around in South Africa at that time. Thing is, we still have today those things today in our society. As Mandela was being released, um, his passion turned to a united South Africa. You see, Mandela had a heart of compassion. We come back to the heart. He had a heart of compassion. He had a calling, not a positional title. Yet he acted like a leader long before he had the title of president. You see, leaders, and we've heard this time and time again, that leaders see a need that mobilizes them to act. Allow God to show you an individual situation or group where there's a need for you to act. When you mix that into God's character and calling, and before you even know it, you're already in a position of leadership. And that's my encouragement to you as members of this church, as the body of Christ. Find out where God is calling you to lead and serve. He will do the rest. If you want to be a leader, just put your hand up or just volunteer. Don't wait for someone to discover you. Be proactive. Someone may eventually tap you on the shoulder and put you in a leadership role. But the thing is, you need to be ready. And that brings me to the, my second point, or the second myth, is that leaders are discovered, not developed. It should be the other way around again. Leaders are developed, not discovered. Well, certainly for this church and organization, we're, not fo we're, we're, focused, sorry, we're focused on developing our leaders. Many of our leaders today come through our former leadership program, NLI, Every Nation Leadership Institute. Your hands up for those who have done NLI. Okay, it's quite a few of us. A lot of them aren't here because many are now serving as pastors, administrators, elders, small group leaders, volunteers, community group leaders, both here in New Zealand and overseas. 
together with our sister church in Auckland and the church plants in Brisbane and Fiji, we value leadership development. What we don't need is more people with leadership roles and titles, but more people who act like leaders with or with, without a title. For those who have done ENLI, one of the first things we learned about leadership is that when you are called to lead, that the first person you lead first is yourself. You need to develop yourself. Get some good habits going, motivate yourself, try getting up early and exercising, reading your word, praying, discipline your mind and body, being early into church on time, Rochelle. Try getting to work to your lectures on time. Leadership starts at home. If you have children, if you have children, then lead your children. If you can't lead your children, then how are you going to lead others? Give your, get your household in order first. Then go. There's that word go again. Then go out and let, let others see your example of leadership in your workplaces, the gym, at school, or university, or at church. Remember, or well, I'm just trying to emphasize this, that leadership is about example, not by position. It's great that Pastor Taulu has completed his part of, or this part of his theological studies. You see, he's into self-development. He's developing his leadership skills, not just for his own head knowledge, but to use that knowledge to lead our church organization, provide vision and direction, and also to shepherd and feed his flock. Just as Jesus um, called Peter to build the church by feeding and taking care of his people, both young and mature in the faith, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep, then feed my sheep. Jesus was trying to emphasize something there. Steve Morrill, president of the Every Nation Church organization, rarely discovered leaders or recruited leaders when there was a shortage. Between 2006 and 2009, the church in Manila added 13,000 members. In three years, they added 13,000 members. Most of the leaders they developed initially didn't even resemble leaders when they started developing them. But that's how many great leaders in the Bible started. Who would have known but Jesus, the leadership potential in a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector to lead the early church? What about David and his mighty men? Many of them were hiding in a cave, depressed and bitter when he found them. David didn't discover them. He had to develop them by doing life together, training them in battle and mentoring them in the word. Our goal in this church is develop our leaders, equip them to preach and teach the gospel. Simple as that. I'm a prime example of leadership development. If you ask those close to me when I gave my life to the Lord that I would be a leader, that I would speak into the lives of others, or that I would even get up in front of everyone and preach and teach. Not only those who knew me, um, who, who, who knew me at the time, they would be laughing. I would laugh along with them. You see, in my case, God certainly used the foolish to shame the wise. I think there are many of you out there who are in the same situation. 
God wants to take you out of the mud and the mire, clean you up, put your feet on solid ground, give you a new heart for you to go and make disciples. It's important that in order to act like a leader that you should hold fast to the term Christ-centered leadership. That's my next point here. Christ-centered leadership. If you want to be a leader, you have to be Christ-centered in your leadership. When leading self, God always has to be first and center. When you're leading a group, God always has to be first and center. If you're leading a nation, again, God needs to be first and center. The vision for our church organization is that we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campuses, campus ministries in every nation. You see, when we say Christ-centered, what does that mean? You might be thinking, what does Christ-centered mean? We remain focused on Christ above vision, man, doctrine, or experience. We put all our energy into pointing people to nothing and no one else but Christ. Recently, I was in Fiji helping out with building capability around the country's border enforcement. It really humbled me how simple and basic their processes were and how limited their resources were. Instead of a whiteboard, we had to write up um, on pieces of paper and pin them up on the wall. At the end of it, they had to roll it up and then and type it back into their computers. Despite these limitations in the physical sense, what was evident to me was that the people I was dealing with had huge resources inside of them. How did I know that? Well, firstly, for some of them, God was first and center. They would acknowledge God and have their Bibles on their desks alongside their notebooks and writing pads. Secondly, and this is the point I, I, I want to make, in the spirit of Fijian humility, Christian humility, they were faithful in their work. They were eagerly available to receive advice that I was giving to them. They were like sponges. And thirdly, they had a teachable spirit. They were willing to listen and learn. These are the fundamentals of being a disciple, which in turn develops leadership. To be an effective leader, you need these traits. You continuously need to be faithful to the cause. Find out what our cause is as Christians in a church. Be available to serve or to glean from others and have a teachable spirit, willing to learn and listen. Be FAT. Faithful, available, and teachable. Simple, simple. In leadership, it's often been said that our most important resources are people. Māori talk about that as he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. It's people, people, people. However, you still need to pray that God is the ultimate source of everything you do. Remember, the, he is the vine, you are the branches. Pray for God's resources and he will provide for the harvest, the people. Only in the last couple of weeks, my family and I were very, very fortunate and privileged to be in Samoa for the opening of the South Pacific Games. And we saw right from the airport through the villages, God was front and center in the banners that were displayed. So often we saw uh, signs depicting one in spirit. You see, if you're leading a group of people, a team or an organization, 
lead with this principle that God blesses those who live in unity and harmony. And that's found in Psalms 133, 1-3. God blesses those who live in unity and harmony. While we were there in, uh, for the ceremony, a miracle happened that evening. Hours before the opening ceremony and throughout most of the day, it was raining. And those of you who have been in Samoa, when it rains, it pours. Once we got to our seats, our feet were covered in mud and our clothes were wet. This is a photo of us sitting in our vehicle, just watching the rain pour and waiting to find an opportunity to run to the stadium. We saw a lot of interesting and funny carrying on um, outside our vehicle. Samoans are a hard case. Just the side. <laughs> He saw this truck and it had about 40 people on the back of the truck. Five people got out to push the truck <laughs> while the rest stayed on. It was, it was quite funny. Anyway, back to focus. Once we got inside the stadium, what was cool was the music that was playing before the ceremony was all gospel praise and worship music. So that lifted our spirits and we dried ourselves off. That's also when the miracle happened. An hour before the, the opening started, we looked up to see that the clouds had all disappeared. The evening was warm, stars were out, and we were treated by an absolutely fantastic night of fun and laughter. 5,000 athletes, officials marched by, and we were treated to an amazing performance by 3,000 um, children and youth. Five pastors and a choir who sang hymns, ending with a half an hour of fireworks display. So from the, from the rain-soaked um, vehicle, this is a picture of, um, it was great, it was awesome. It was reported in the Fiji Sun newspaper the next day, Samoa provided last night that the impossible was possible and the 16th Pacific Games was rightly dubbed the Miracle Games with fewer than two years to prepare after another Pacific nation officially withdrew from hosting, Samoa pulled off a show that left everyone in Samoa feeling proud and humble at the same time. What made it even more special was the rain and thunderstorm that started after 2 p.m. yesterday all ceased at least an hour before the official opening at 6.30 p.m. Prime Minister Tuila Epesai Lile Malia Lengaoi made a point to thank God for providing for Samoa's miracle game. It was a miracle. And I had to practice the Prime Minister's surname. I have no doubt that God blessed the unity and spirit amongst the leaders and organisers of those games and all the South Pacific nations that attended it. God was really being honoured that night in the South Pacific. God sees and appreciates unity and spirit rather than the razzle-dazzle of people's achievements. So again, I just want to re-emphasise this. In leadership, when you lead people, a group, organisation, or even a nation, and it is Christ-centered, and you put others ahead of your own agendas, then God will bless your team, organization, and even your nation. We experience that in our church with our board of trustees and our eldership and our administrators. I love it. I love the unity. Over the years, I've read a number of books by John C. Maxwell, who's an American author, speaker, and pastor, who has many, written many books, primarily focusing on leadership, titles include the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership and the 21 indispensable qualities of a leader. He has also complied, compiled lessons in leadership in the Bible where he focuses on Jesus' ministry and his 
extracted from that these leadership principles based on Jesus' ministry. Again, Jesus is a model or an icon for leadership. If there was an icon for leadership, Jesus is that. Those leadership or these leadership principles will give you some tips on how to act as a leader. Although there are 21 of them, I will only focus on five of them. First one, the law of influence. You like that? The law of influence. The true measure of leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. If you don't have influence, you'll never be able to lead others. Amazing, that. In Matthew 4, 18 to 20, Jesus called his disciples who left everything to follow him. Two of them, Peter and Andrew, had already spoken to Jesus. And they saw him active in ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing people. Jesus' influence had such an impact on these disciples that when Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, that they immediately dropped their nets and followed Jesus. You can be an influence on others by just the way you behave, conduct yourself, by words, by your words and demeanour. I'm going to speak to those who use social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook or even YouTube. While you, have made, while you may have hundreds, thousands, or even millions of followers, that's not leadership. It's simply influencing. You're an influencer. Is that the term? Influencer. However, it can be a tool, it can be a tool for you to share the gospel. If you want to be a leader who's a great influencer, check your character, who you are. Your relationships, who you know. Your knowledge, what you know. Your intuition, how you feel. Your experiences, where you've been. Your past successes, what you've done. And your ability, what you can do. By strengthening yourself spiritually in each of these areas, particularly character, this will allow you to become more of a great influencer. Okay, second one. We're getting through this. The law of process. Leadership develops daily, not in a day. As previously mentioned, leaders need to be developed. The ana analogy is the same for an athlete. Your successes don't just happen. You need to train, develop, and improve your skills. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and all the people. You see, when he was 12 years of age, he listened and asked questions in the synagogues, a habit he never grew out of. When you look in the Gospels, he never grew out of that habit of listening and questioning. Before he healed people, he knew to listen to them first. Leadership is about listening. It's about building relationships. Relation, the word relationship is actually a really key part of leadership. Or key word, I mean. Jesus knew to contact and build relationships with people's hearts by using his ears. That's why we need to invest in leadership development. This will help you grow. Plan for your own personal growth. Apply your growth plan. And then lead others as well and create. That's what we want to do as a church. That's what we implore for you to do is to create a culture of leadership growth. 
that's why I'm excited about our uh, leadership development program because when people see that leader, leadership development is valued and rewarded, then we will see growth in our church exponentially. The law of solid ground, the third one. Trust is the foundation of leadership. This word would, be, would not do justice without this word trust in leadership. It's foundational part of leadership. It's the most important characteristic a leader must portray. This is how you should act as a leader, by consistently showing competence, connection and character. This builds trust. Good character communicates consistency. If things turn to custard, but the leader remains calm or makes wise decisions or sound decisions, admits their mistakes, and puts what's best for others, then leaders earn that respect. Jesus often displayed respect and trust when he debated with the Pharisees and, and Sadducees. See, Jesus didn't wave a wand and close their mouths or their minds. Instead of offending them, he merely exposed their motives and caused them to look at their own foolishness. When the crowd saw that Jesus saw that Jesus was competent in what he said, he connected with the audience, audience and showed his true character, earning the audience trust and respect. That's how we need to act. Two more to go. As a leader speaks the truth, um, apologies, just one point, one more point on that. As a, as a leader speaks the truth, have self-control, exhibit the fruits of the Spirit as you lead others. The law of addition, leaders add value by serving others. Leadership's about advancing others, not yourself. You develop yourself, but you want to advance others. Do you add value to others? Good leaders believe in their people before they before their people believe in them and serve others before they're served. When you or someone speak into someone's life, set common ground, whether it might be sport or an interest, a connection to someone you know with that person. You see, there's value in serving others. Jesus displayed this principle magnificently when he washed his disciples' feet, something which confused the disciples. They're thinking that in order to become a leader, you must be a servant. How do you treat people who work under you? Think about that. How do you treat children or those who are volunteers? Make it a habit to treat others more worthy than yourselves. You see, Philippians 2, 3, 4 explains this point really succinctly. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. The point is that as a leader, make it a habit to be others-focused. And the last one, the law of connection. Leaders touch a heart before they ask for a hand. What does that mean? People will not follow you until they are emotionally brought into the cause or the vision that you are casting. In John chapter 4, Jesus connected with a Samaritan woman at the well. He touched her heart because of what he knew about her. And they spoke about how to worship God and Jesus finally revealing to her that he was the Savior. I am the Messiah. 
to truly connect with people, you have to value them and know more about them. Think of this. When you have a conversation, there's more I in that conversation. You need to replace that with, with you. What are you doing? Where have you been? Who are you? Where, where, who, who's your family? You see, people particularly don't care what you know until they know how much you care. I'll say that again. People particularly don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Just like the woman at the well, when Jesus addressed her sin and gave her a glimpse of salvation, it touched her heart. And she ran back to her village, and the villagers asked Jesus to stay there for another couple of days to preach to them, to teach them. And after that, they believed that he was the saviour. I love leading people through the purple book because I can relate to the new believer when I share with them my past and present. It touches their heart and sees the tra- they can see the transformation of the gospel in me, but then in them they experience a new hope in Christ. You see, your compassion and love for others, the power of your testimony and the preaching and teaching of the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross which is fundamental. Those things will touch people's hearts in turn, and in turn will make a heart-to-heart connection with Christ. The final point there is that the law of connection tells us as leaders to act with empathy, empathy and concern for others. I want to leave you with this. As Christians... We are all called to the ministry of reconciliation. As Christ's disciples, we are all called to disciple others. And disciples need to be equipped to pass on their faith to others. See, our work is never complete until all new believers make disciples of others. Last couple of PowerPoints here. I just want to cover off and remind you of our leadership Um, core value. Leadership is one of our core values, as you already know, as an Every Nation Church ministry. To expand on what that means is we're called to establish churches and campus ministries in every nation. We're committed to a culture of empowering leadership. We're intentionally multi-generational and we deliberately create opportunities and platform to develop the next generation of leaders. And this is based on the, second, on the scripture in which Paul is exhorting and encouraging his young leader, Timothy, as he steps up to lead a church. And this is a calling, I suppose, for each and every one of us here. We need to step up, pull our socks up. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Before I pray, I want to let you know that God sees greatness in every one of you. I I say that with conviction, guys. He sees greatness to bear fruit. You see, Jesus is the potter, we're the clay. Don't be the clay that Jesus discards, but be the clay that he molds, shapes, and develops into be a world changer.
maybe a missionary, an evangelist, a teacher, or a leader in the marketplace, whether you're a parent caring for your children, a lawyer, a business owner, a professional athlete, or in the ministry, or even a student. God wants to use you in whatever calling you are in. There is a purpose and destiny for each individual here. God plans to do good to you, not to harm you. He plans to give you a hope and a future, but don't conform to the patterns of this world. But let God God transform you by the way you think. If you're still trying to find your calling, then be still. And allow God to minister to you, give you clarity and confirmation. If you're already a leader, then ask God to continue to stir up in you, in your heart of compassion for others, to love God, to love others. Ask God to show you how to act and think like a leader, that you have a servant heart with godly character and integrity. Let me pray. We bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I pray for your people today.